Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Matt Harmon and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years Hayden Winks from Roto World joining me today in the Dalton Del Don chair. Hayden, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. We had an exciting slate last week. We uh, survived the Monday Night Football Contest, and now we get rewarded with some interesting football on Thursday. So looking forward to it. Perfect. I'm glad you brought up the Monday Night uh, Contest because that is what satisfied me today, is waking up and realizing that the Bears are on by this week. So we don't have to talk about Nick Foles and their trash offensive line and them trying to establish Cordero Patterson. We don't have to deal with any of that in our lives this week, and I find that very satisfying. Yeah, the only thing I'm going to miss is Cordero Patterson on the kick returns, but outside of that, I'm good with taking a week off. Well, the uh, the good news and perhaps unsatisfying news, uh, the opposite of uh, a tasty's a tasty bag of, of planters there is that they're on Sunday night football again in week 12. So great. We all get, lo- we'd love, love a bears uh, offense on a national audience. It's just great. It really makes me want to uh, boil my eyeballs. As I said on Twitter last <laughs> night, now, <laughs> now not to give away one of our secrets on the pod here. And, and, and the listeners are familiar with our usual format where we talk about the trends we love to see the trends we hate to see here on Tuesday, but Hayden does great work at uh, Roto World covering all the stats that we love to talk about every single week. I know we've referenced your column on this show before, so I figure with Dalton out today, why not we just you know, just just take in, bring in the man himself to, to help us cover some of these weekly trends. But tell the people a little bit about the piece that you write where you go over pretty much everything that they need to know from a fantasy usage standpoint. Yeah, so at Roto World on Mondays and Tuesdays, I have a couple of columns called the Fantasy Usage Model. And basically, it's breaking down how fantasy running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends are being used. And not just looking at box scores, kind of going a little bit deeper than that, looking at air yards, looking at where targets are being distributed. Because there's differences between a target five yards down the field and 25 yards down the field. There's also a difference between a target near the goal line, one that's in the middle of the field or near the sideline. So you have to kind of factor all these things in. Uh, One of my columns is called targets aren't created equal because they're not. And then there's also the running back version of that, which is high value running back touches because nothing grinds my gears more than seeing just someone say he got 20 opportunities when there's no context within that, because somebody that is getting 15 opportunities a week, but those are near the goal line. Those are as a pass catcher out of the backfield. Those are way more valuable than someone that's just running between the tackles at the 50-yard line. Yeah, we talked about this with Rich Rebar of Sharp Football Stats in the preseason, talked about um, how for specifically wide receivers, like, you know, all targets aren't created equal, as you said. You know, 149 Julian Edelman targets are very different from 149 Allen Robinson targets, just for, you know, one example or whatever. So I love the piece. Everybody should check it out. Make sure you're following Hayden on Twitter, uh, at Hayden Winks, and, you know, fly from there. You're going to be a much better fantasy player and consumer of NFL knowledge if you do. But let's jump right into it. The things that we we love to see here uh, coming into Week 11. I can't believe it's already Week 11, bro. This is insane. But uh, we always Let's talk about air yards. You just mentioned air yards. Uh, we like our receivers to not just get the targets, the overall volume, but we want them to get deep targets. And air yards are obviously a good way 
uh, to indicate some of that overall volume within the context of their team and then be able to compare throughout the uh, entire league, too. Let's look at some air yards over the last four weeks. I want to talk about number one is obviously Tyreek Hill. This is a guy who is an efficiency outlier. Um, he just had his first 100-yard game the last time we saw him, uh, but I think he's, you know, He's cleared you know, to fly the rest of the season. Although, interestingly to me, is number two, Jerry Judy at 137. What do you make of Jerry Judy right now? Because like, I think he's a guy that could smash the, the rest of the way. I love the player, love the talent. I like that they've sort of moved him away from that slot receiver role because I don't think he's like most optimally used. I mean, he's a great slot receiver, sure, but I think you want him to be a guy that's winning across the field. But Drew Locke is his quarterback, and that's not been so much fun. Yeah, so you, you nailed it. Uh, in the middle of the year when K.J. Hamler was missing games, he was being used in the slot. and He was averaging about 10.5 expected fantasy points during that stretch. The last couple of weeks, he's gone completely to the, the perimeter. And what you're seeing is his average draft or average depth of target has increased by like three or four yards. He's being peppered with downfield targets. And these are way more valuable. If you look at just in general, a target that's between 25 to 50 yards downfield are the most valuable targets outside of red zone targets. They're way more valuable than a target three yards down the field. So by him going outside, he's seeing way more air yards. And I think over the, the course of the season, that will pay off. What this does mean, though, is he's not going to have uh, as much consistency week to week, especially because Drew Locke is throwing those passes downfield. But in general, the, when you have a player that's being targeted downfield more, that's a good thing. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I feel like he'll be those those spike weeks will be better than you know the consistent eight for eighty or something like that. You know, I'd rather see like the game that he put up against the Falcons. I think you know this role in good matchups is now within his range of outcomes where it probably wasn't before. Now the schedule for the Broncos, we should note that Drew Locke has uh, he's a rib injury too, just like Drew Brees. Not quite. I mean, I don't have like a freaking collapsed lung or anything like that, which is unbelievable. I I will still never get over like being a consumer of football and just it's like, well, this guy's got a collapsed lung. He'll be back in like you know six weeks. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> if I have a collapsed lung, let me tell you what, I'm not coming back on this podcast for a, for a few minutes. Let me say, and, I, and I, that's a, quite a different role than, than playing NFL quarterback. The upcoming schedule for the Broncos is interesting. They've got the Dolphins, the aforementioned Saints, the Chiefs, the Panthers, and then the Bills. And then they finish up in week 16 in the fantasy playoffs with uh, the Chargers. Obviously, schedule is weird to talk about at any point this year, but you know, pretty mixed bag there in terms of uh, matchups. And I do think, you, you know, you're not going to, not going to feel all that confident about even if Drew Locke's out there at 100%. You're not going to feel all that confident about this passing attack going against, uh, in, going into Miami against that secondary. Yeah, I agree. I, I still think that you just want to keep him as, as your wide receiver three, maybe your flex play, um, just because you know that you there's a ceiling there. And a lot of the receivers don't have that ceiling, especially someone that's as talented as, as Jerry Judy is. I mean, you see the route running with him. You can tell he's like a very... Uh, like pro-ready prospect, and that's what you yeah. saw at Alabama too. So I think you want to trust these guys, especially when when they come into, into the league this young. I mean, he hasn't even turned 22. When you that's declare insane. early, when you were that productive at an elite university, you want to be trusting these guys. If you look at all of the rookie receivers that are doing well this year, most of them are Power 5 superstars, productive and young. Jerry Judy falls right into that mix too. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like if the Broncos ever figure out their quarterback situation, he'll be a guy that's one of the most productive uh, receivers in the league. And I have a feeling they'll once again be looking for a quarterback this offseason. So much fun uh, in Denver. I think the one of the most interesting players uh, from the list over the last four weeks is number seven, Josh Reynolds at 109 air yards. Um, let's talk about this one because I think people probably don't realize how much Josh Reynolds has elevated into like being a consistent factor in this offense. Um, and it's come at the expense of Robert Woods. It's come at the expense of Cooper cup a little bit too. Uh, I was like totally hands off this passing attack going into the year because I just wasn't sure like what this offense was going to look like here in 2020. And then even in the first like month of the season when Woods and cup were a little bit more uh, productive, consistent, there's just obviously no ceiling in this passing attack because now we've seen, you know, in that first month of the season, they want to be run heavy. They pretty much have the training wheels back on Jared Goff. There's just not a lot of juice in this passing game. But now that Reynolds is a factor, I feel like it totally mucks up the situation. 
Yeah, last year the Rams were playing at the fastest pace it, when they were trailing. They're also uh, passing the ball uh, the most in the league while they were trailing. This year, what you saw was Sean McVay basically took the ball out of Jared Goff's hands, and they were uh, bottom three in neutral pass rate for most, much much of the season. And that's why you're seeing just Robert Woods, just Cooper Cup be the only guys that are involved in the offense. The last couple of weeks, when you've seen the Rams either trail or face a very uh, pass funnel defense, you're seeing Josh Reynolds be the beneficiary of those. And the reason for that is he's a, he's a full-time player. He's the clear cut number two perimeter receiver way ahead of Van Jefferson, but two, he's the guy that's being targeted downfield. His average uh, depth of target is at 12.8. The rest of the Rams receivers, Cooper cup, Robert Woods, Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, all of them are be- below eight yards. So when uh, Jared Goff does go downfield, it's most likely to uh, Josh Reynolds, who's, 25% of his targets are 20 air yards downfield. So he's kind of taking this role where he's not really competing with Robert Woods or Cooper Cup. It just a, it just depends if the Rams are going to be targeting downfield or not. So I think he's going to be pretty matchup dependent. But I do think when you think that either the Rams are going to be trailing or if they are playing a defense that is getting beaten deep, Josh Reynolds becomes a really interesting like upside wide receiver three play. So I think that he's earned at least a bench hold in like 10 team and 12 team fantasy leagues. And I think you can kind of pick, pick your spots to throw them into your flex flex spot. Yeah. The like rostered percentage between woods and Reynolds, there's a huge gap there, but as you're saying, and and as we're noting, like the roles are starting uh, to get a little closer. Um, The Rams have the bucks this week. They have the 49ers, the Cardinals, the Patriots, the jets and the Seahawks all the way through week 16. So there's definitely some spots there where like as a cheap DFS player, something like that, you're probably going to want to consider Josh Reynolds because of that big play uh, upside. Another interesting one from your list of per game guys over the last four weeks, chase Claypool at number 11. Yeah. You note that he not only has a hundred air yards per game over the last four weeks, he also led uh, week 10 in this stat. Now I, I feel like, I've had a conversation with a thousand people about the Steelers wide receivers, and I think it's always an interesting one to have because, you know, Claypool's starting to to be that clear-cut vertical guy in the offense. And we obviously know that when Deontay Johnson has started and finished a game or at least played over 70% of the snaps, he has target totals of 10, 13, 15, 3 in that Ravens game where there was sort of some injuries there too, but also tough matchup and then 10 and 11. So we know he's been getting the like raw target volume uh, whenever he's been on the field and there haven't been injury questions. And then Juju's still kind of doing his thing. Um, very different sort of role. I think than than we were, than some people, I'm not going to say we, some people were expecting coming into the year. Um, where do you stand on these Steelers guys the rest of the way, uh, presuming health out of everybody, which has not been a given obviously for Johnson in particular. Well, over the last couple of weeks, you've kind of seen the Steelers offense kind of transform to a more of a balance attack all the way up to like a very pass heavy attack. And we've seen Big Ben for most, most, much of the year. I think it's probably an arm thing. It's probably a leg thing at this point. He wants to be throwing the ball underneath, which is perfectly fine. That's where Juju eats. That's where Deontay Johnson eats. And I think you're beginning to see Chase Claypool will be able to win in both areas. They scheme him up t- uh, touches inside the red zone, uh, like sweeps, like handoffs. I mean, he just, they're getting the ball to chase Claypool and he can win vertically. And in my opinion, I think that he's a a better route runner than people are getting credit for. He looks like a very good wide receiver. I think for for my money, I think he's already the best Steelers receiver. I don't, that doesn't mean that he's going to be the best fantasy receiver because I think Deontay Johnson's targets are more bankable. But Chase Claypool is another one of these rookies where, you want to be investing in these guys in the second half of the year. They really start to earn more touches as the season goes, especially when they've been so efficient. I think that Chase Claypool checks every single one of those boxes. I can't believe people thought like Chase Claypool was going to be a tight end in the NFL. I'll never, I'll never get over the people looked at that and thought, you know, like, yeah, let's move this guy to tight end. To me, I know he gets like the Mapletron nickname and like the Calvin Johnson sort of comps, whatever. Obviously, like nobody's Calvin Johnson. I think that's like nearly sacrilegious of a thing to say, but he's definitely in that like Vincent Jackson arc where, you know, big, speedy perimeter guy. You just look at the way he gets off the line of scrimmage. Like, if you're going to be a vertical threat in the NFL, especially as a big body, that's step number one. Like, if you can get off press coverage, if you can get off the line, 
you can win deep in the NFL. And I think Deontay Johnson's that guy too. And that's why I feel like the Steelers have moved to this sort of this pass heavy attack. Like you've mentioned, it's, it's all about like maximizing the playmakers um, that they have. It's all about, and, and that's, that has come at the expense of Juju. Uh, do you think there's any chance that Juju's on the 2021 Steelers roster? I think they should have him on there. I don't think that's the way they're going. Um, I think they ha- they might slide Deontay Johnson into the slot long-term. I'm not sure if that's what they're thinking and draft another outside receiver or let James Washington run. Uh, but I think I think you need at least two good receivers to be like in Super Bowl contention. And I think that uh, the Steelers certainly have that with Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool if they do uh, decide to go away from Juju Smith. But I-, I think for this year, what you're seeing is James Conner is, is losing snaps. And that's probably because yeah. he's not that explosive. And quite frankly, uh, a short passing attack is basically uh, the new age version of a rushing attack. And when you have Deontay Johnson and Juju getting open at will within like five to 10 yards of line of scrimmage, I think that's the way they're going to go for the rest of the year. Yeah, that was going to be my next question was actually about James Conner, because if James Conner's on your fantasy team, he had this like long stretch of just consistently scoring touchdowns, crossing 100 yards, whatever. The last two games... He's just sort of been completely removed. And I think you could make an excuse against the Cowboys that they were kind of they were surprisingly, you know, kind of game scripted in that game, whatever. Like that was obviously, like I said, a shock. You could make the excuse then, but then you see it against the Bengals, like a game that they controlled the entire way, uh, which is not surprising because there's a big uh, gap between the quality of those two teams. James Conner, once again, sort of kind of take it. And he's playing you know, the highest snaps here. Like there's not another Pittsburgh back that's suddenly emerged. I agree with you that it's pretty much just, look, this, this team has changed its philosophy in terms of the way they want to move the ball, you know, tempo quick, everything like that. It definitely has like Juju, whatever. He's still fine. He's still got his role. And I I think that's the best way to use him is how they're using him. But the biggest loser in this equation has sneaky been James Conner. Definitely agree. For for most of the season, he was like in the RB8 to RB10 range in my fantasy usage model. Over the last four weeks, he's dropped to RB15. And if this trend continues, he could be dropping to like low end RB2 territory. I think he's still a fine RB2 play, especially because we're, I mean, we're grinding for some running backs to play as our RB2 or RB3. So I think James Conner is a step ahead of those guys just because he's playing basically a bell cow role in a functional offense. They're just getting away from the run a little bit. Right, like you look at the um, the week eleven running back rankings, and it's hard to not have, despite the disappointment, it's hard to not have James Conner as right there around like running back eleven, especially because they play the Jaguars. Right, like theoretically, this should be a game where he sees fifteen to eighteen touches, at least something like that. But there's just a lot of questions. But it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to rank uh, Naheem Hines over him? You're going to rank, uh, you know, Mike Davis with with some injury questions there, you, and perhaps uh, no Teddy Bridgewater? You're going to start him over James Conner? Maybe I don't know. Um, Damian Harris is a guy that, like, you know, I've got up there. Great matchup against the Texans. What do you think about uh, actually? Just this is just off the cuff. What do you think about Damian Harris as a guy in the New England backfield? We know the, the talk about fantasy usage. Uh, fantasy usage is always confusing in the New England backfield, but Harris is a guy that's like a tempo setter to me, and I think he looks good. Um, and you would think that the way they want to play, he should continue to be involved, especially against the Texans defense that just got run over by two guys for 100 yards in Cleveland, and before that was giving up the second most rushing yards in the NFL, anyways. Yeah, Damian Harris is very interesting because he's one of these guys that kind of falls into this trap where you're seeing 15 to 20 carries and you're like, wow, this guy might be flirting with RB1 numbers. But so much of those are near the 50-yard line and he's not being involved uh, out of the backfield uh, with targets. With that said, in good matchups like the one you just mentioned against the Texans, I think that he's a rock-solid RB2 play because you can basically bet that he's going to see 15 carries. The question becomes is, is he going to be involved enough near the goal line to convert into these into touchdowns? Because 15 carries and you're getting 75 yards out of them and without a touchdown, that's that's a bad day for, for fantasy totals. So you really need these, these goal line carries. And of course, he's competing with Cam Newton. So um, I think that the floor might be a little lower than people think just because of how he's being utilized. But there's still plenty of ceiling in these games where we can expect the Patriots to hang uh, a couple touchdowns on these bad run defenses. Right, like I feel like going into Sunday Night Football, you would think that the Patriots would be trailing to the Ravens. Um, this wouldn't have been a spot to use uh, Damian Harris, so I get it if people went away from him in, in that matchup. But like 
that was the exact situation that you'd want to see from the Patriots. Like once the game started, they're controlling it. It's close. It's competitive. Like that's when you're going to get a ton of Damian Harris looking at the Patriots upcoming schedule. We've got the Texans this week. I think that's sort of like, that's sort of hit or miss. The Texans are so weird that I feel like they could come out and hang, you know, 15 points in a hurry or something like that uh, on the Patriots and the Patriots are playing in negative game script, but their defense is so bad um and uh you know there could there could just be a lot of questions there so that's that's a tough one to predict then you've got the cardinals the chargers the la rams uh and the miami dolphins and then the bills which are definitely a bad run defense in week 16 to finish their fantasy like playoff schedule yeah i I will note that the rest of the patriots running backs like james white is not being involved at all even like just with like routes run he's not even being used there as well so it's kind of I, I don't know what you do with James White I, I don't think you drop him just because the other running backs Can't in the waiver him, are yeah. just bad but you I don't think you can start him at this point all right let's talk about some tight ends we talked about running backs as a weird position to rank um what, just what are your thoughts in general right now uh in the of the tight end landscape besides the fact that it's show uh, if you don't have Travis Kelsey, you are hurting. I think last week going into the bye, Travis Kelsey was seventh all time in tight end points uh, through the first nine weeks. He also had twice as many points as like the tight end thirteen overall, twice as many. Uh, so yeah. I mean, if you it's basically Kelsey and then nobody else with Kittle out. Even Darren Waller, somebody that's been getting a lot of usage, but he's his efficiency has just basically been cut in half for whatever reason. So that's been frustrating. I don't even know who you rank at tight end too it's like tj hawkinson's in the mix but he's not exploding i mean it's bad out there so i mean there's basically it's travis kelsey than everyone else i kind of have like as like a tight end one two that you're just hoping that he gets a touchdown yeah looking at um your fantasy uh the air yards report and the usage model for uh, for tight ends it's like the last four weeks the top five guys are in air yards per game rob gronkowski Richard Rodgers, what? <laughs> Dalton Schultz, what? Like Mike Gusecki, Darren Waller, uh, it's not great, you know? Like, what are what are we doing here? There's not a scenario um, where I really am going to confidently play options two or three there with Richard Rodgers or Dalton Schultz. Gronk, it's, you know, this, this, this Bucks offense is so confusing because uh, Antonio Brown, by the way, uh, we talked about – you know, him uh, on the Sunday night podcast with Liz, you know, about just like how it's going to be tough to predict this, this stuff week to week, but he's 19th right now in air yards per game uh, over the last, like since he's been playing at 87, <laughs> what are you doing with the bucks? Cause they're coming into a matchup this week with the Rams. We talked about on the other side there. Um, theoretically, you would think that Jalen Ramsey matches up with a guy like Mike Evans. He fits that sort of perimeter receiver model, uh, the, of the guys that he's sort of erased this year, or at least super limited their production, you would feel like this is the spot that like Chris Godwin could get rolling because you know maybe they put Jalen Ramsey on Antonio Brown. I don't know, but I feel like in, if you're going to kind of have to play this guessing game with the Bucks every single week, like try to predict defensive matchups, try to predict game script. Uh, how do you feel about these Bucks like receivers and also the backfield too? If you want to touch on that. Yeah, I'll say the Bucks and the Steelers are kind of that Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other with the receivers yes. where they're all wide receiver threes, all with plenty of upside. I don't think you can sit any of the six of them. Um, and just because you know that there's a, a wide receiver one ceiling. And then Gronk is basically in the same exact role as Eric Ebron where you're hoping for touchdowns. His, his production and his usage overall has kind of slipped um Gronk has like 10.4 expected fancy points and 6.9 expected fancy points and the two games with Antonio Brown he was much higher than that earlier in the year kind of after um OJ Howard towards Achilles and he was kind of featured as like the number two and number three target I don't think you can expect that anymore for Gronk I think he's gonna be very touchdown dependent but out of all the tight ends we're looking at I would rather take my shots with somebody like Gronk that we've seen obviously the ceiling plenty of times before and you're getting a decently functional offense when Tom Brady uh, decides to play well. So I think that Gronk is at worst like the tight end 10, even if you're discounting after um, all three of the Bucks receivers doing their thing as well. So it's going to be tough to predict week to week, but I think all of them have too much of a ceiling to be benching. 
Do you feel the same way about Ronald Jones? Because I sort of do. Like, you know that if the Bucks are going to control a game, like, he's going to be the guy on the field most likely over Leonard Fournette. Like, for whatever reason, they've sort of talked themselves into Leonard Fournette as, like, their passing down back, which I feel like the Jaguars showed us last year. Sure, he, he can, like, catch the ball, which, to be fair, Ronald Jones isn't that good at, right? Like, <laughs> but I feel like, you know, he's going to catch the ball, but he's not going to do anything with it after the catch. You know, he's not going to be good in space anything like that i feel like if you can predict how the bucks are going to be able to function within a game you know like against a defense like carolina last week and i think the rams are sort of in the same vein like they have some superstars but they're totally willing to let you in, like just invite you to run on them i feel like jones is sort of in the same boat where you can't really bench him either because if the bucks do control the, the game we've seen the upside for him in that in that spot yeah, I think you nailed it. These are kind of it's a kind of a hot hand backfield, but I think there is some game script that's kind of being banked, banked in here. I think even despite Ronald Jones fumbling, they're still going to him when they need to run the ball. And I think Leonard Fournette probably gets a little boost if the Bucks find themselves trailing. But I don't know how often you can expect the Bucks to be trailing. Um, I will say another fumble would kind of flip this backfield. So I would yeah. definitely be holding on to Leonard Fournette. I think you can still use Leonard Fournette as like an RB3 if you have like a deep... Uh, fantasy starting roster um but yeah for right now you got to rank ronald jones above leonard fournette i mean their usage just keeps going back and forth though i don't think that we're going to have like clear-cut answers anytime soon really you talked about expected fantasy points uh just a moment ago with uh some of the tight ends deandre swift i was uh, stalking your timeline ahead of talking to you uh, and i saw this tweet which you know sort of um Sort of makes you, makes you happy if you're a DeAndre Swift uh, backer. DeAndre Swift has at least 15 expected PPR points in four of five games since the bye. Obviously, he's coming off probably his best performance, perhaps, of the year. Or one of his, like, you know, they go into Sunday's game and they say, hey, we're starting DeAndre Swift. And I'm sort of like, okay, what is that? You know, is that, what does that mean? <laughs> like, we'll see. And then he obviously puts up a, a great performance against Washington. Is it finally time to buy the DeAndre Swift breakout? Because he looked great. Look, like, looked great on Sunday, too. I, I, I've always enjoyed watching DeAndre Swift. It's just, you know, trusting the usage there can be kind of tough. Yeah, so over the, like, basically since the buy, if you were ignoring snaps and looking at fantasy usage, DeAndre Swift was checking a lot of the boxes. Yes, he was splitting time to Adrian Peterson and Carryon Johnson. We all know that's very frustrating. But he was the guy seeing all of the targets. He was the guy seeing a lot of the goal line work as well. So I think over the last four four games, he's averaging four and a half targets plus two inside the 10 touches. That is plenty enough volume, even if he's losing snaps to Adrian Peterson and Carryon Johnson. And you'd have to assume, uh, you can't really assume with this coaching staff, but DeAndre Swift has a three-down profile. That's what he was being used at Georgia. He has looked the part clearly over this last month as well. So you would hope to see Adrian Peterson and Carryon Johnson get phased out of the offense and then have DeAndre Swift into this bell cow role. You can't bank on that yet, but I think he's at least earned like high-end RB2 praise at this point. I agree, man. Let's uh, let's hope that this coaching staff is rational because, like you said, th- those are the money touches for a running back. You know, in scoring area and in the passing game, like it's sort of the reverse of what I always call like the Amir Abdullah between the twenties role. Like, remember when Amir Abdullah was supposed to be a thing? He consistently lost passing down usage and goal line usage to Joyke Bell. Shout out to Joyke Bell. There's a throwback name. <laughs> uh, but, like, it's it's sort of the reverse of that. So if we can start to get some more of those between the 20 touches, too, uh, away from Adrian Peterson and all the other guys there, I think Swift is a guy that would just be a monster the rest of the way. And I think we did see that because Adrian Peterson had a season-low seven snaps last week. So I think that's probably a good sign that's happening. I think that is definitely a good sign. Let's see more of that. We wanted to once again thank our sponsor for this episode, Planters. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor you crave. Stay satisfied with Planters Deluxe Mixed Nuts. All right, now we've got to move into trends that we hate to see. And I really hate to see this one, uh, Hayden, because I've got Travis Fulgham on one of my actually good fantasy teams. I think you might be in that, like, Roto World League uh, with me, too. Yeah, it's hard to say. There's, you know, so many damn leagues out there that I don't really remember where everybody is. Uh, But Travis Fulgham, 
He's a guy that I've really enjoyed watching. He's a Virginia guy. Shout out uh, the pride of Old Dominion University, Travis Fulgham. Concerning last week, he fell behind Jalen Rager in terms of the team lead for routes run. Um, Alshon Jeffries back in there taking a few plays away from him. I hate that. Like, talk about something I hate to see. I feel like the Eagles sort of just need to move on from this whole Alshon Jeffrey, like Deshaun Jackson era. Don't talk about those guys anymore. You know, just play Rager, Goddard, uh, and uh, Fulgham going forward. But what are your thoughts on Fulgham specifically and sort of this entire Eagles passing attack that really just can't be normal, no matter how much I want it to be? Yeah, so the concerning thing, it's kind of twofold. Uh, previously, Travis Fulgham was seeing like legit wide receiver one usage, targets, air yards. He was checking all of the boxes. Since Rager's return, Travis Fulgham has had 11.8 and 8.1 expected fantasy points. That's like wide receiver four territory. And yeah. I think that you can explain that just with Jalen Rager being on the field, with Dallas Goddard being on the field, Miles Sanders also involved. Um, but I think the second concerning part is we were expecting Carson Wentz to look better last week. He had pieces back on the offensive line. He has all of the pieces that he needs to look like a functional offense. And we didn't see that against the Giants, who are so-so defense. You were expecting them in a nfc east game to show more and we just didn't get that at all so i think it's gonna be hard to trust fulgham i think maybe he's like a flex guy maybe you hold on to him for a couple more weeks to kind of see how the touches and the targets shake out but i think those those days where you're starting him as like a wide receiver two a wide receiver three must start i think those days are probably over I would agree with you. He's definitely somebody I would still want to hang on to. I wouldn't drop him after such a disappointing performance against the Giants, but sort of keep him in that starting range. Because look, I mean, the upcoming matchups are pretty good, right? Cleveland, Seattle, Green Bay, New Orleans, Arizona, Dallas in Week 16. Like, there's some pretty juicy spots for Fulgham to hit that ceiling. At the same time, though, I also think that the take here is to continue to buy Jalen Rager, who's still sub-30% rostered uh, in Yahoo Leagues, like, Get this freaking guy on uh, on your bench, on whatever you got to do, because at this point, I would say he's the most likely Eagles player, you know, in the receiver group, including Dallas Goddard, to be the the, the top guy going forward, just based on how they've used him. I agree. And it, it didn't really come through the box scores, but there was a couple plays where when Jalen Rager caught the ball, his first couple steps, and he looks like a, a crazy yards after the catch guy if they can get him that way. And he was also very functional down the field. So it it kind of falls onto Carson Wentz's plate if he's going to be able to pull this off. But like you said, the matchups are worth betting on. And I think kind of like one of the the morals of this entire podcast here is these rookies are starting to come on. They kind of start slow. They have to earn their way into starting lineups, earn their trust from the quarterbacks and coaching staff. But in the second half of the year, their splits are way better. Running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers. You want to be betting on the rookies. Which is crazy, too, because most of these guys have been so good already. You know, Justin Jefferson, highest scoring rookie so far. He's been awesome. T. Higgins, I talked about this the other day. He's a guy who's completely exceeded my expectations. Not that I was down on him. I actually don't think there were really any receivers in this class that I was truly like, I'm all the way like out on these guys. And there have been guys in the past. I'm like, I'm not touching them, um, you know, where, where I think they're going to go. There was really no player like that in this draft class, but like T Higgins is the guy that, you know, has clearly exceeded uh, my expectations. How do you feel about I'm now I'm just, you know, this isn't something I hate to see. I guess you hate to see it if you're still holding out that flickering candle for uh, AJ Green or whatever. Um, but this guy, I feel like T Higgins has been one of the most impressive uh, rookies to me just when I bake in the expectations that I had for him. Yes, I think with T Higgins, it's kind of you like to see separation and like elite athleticism from like a top 50 wide receiver. And T Higgins doesn't really have that, but you see somebody that's so physically dominant. And I think I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, despite the concerning athletic profile, just because he was an early declare from Clemson. He was super productive at Clemson with a lot of other target competition. And I mean, when you're talking about uh, really productive players from, from teams that were in the college football playoff, I want to be betting on those guys, especially when they're like 21 years old, which was T. Higgins. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it looks like the Bengals have have something to work with. It's not converting into wins. Joe Burrow is still getting pressured all the time. But I think Burrow with T. Higgins is enough to kind of be buying into the Bengals, maybe for like 2021. If we're talking like best ball stacks or just players to target, I think the Bengals offense has at least the blueprint to have some uh, successful years over the next couple couple seasons. Well, think about it too. Like, 
um, T. Higgins to me, when I coming into the into the draft, I thought of him as a guy that like potentially could be, you know, a, a, like a big slot receiver if he wanted to be. But I think like going to Cincinnati, that was off the table because Tyler Boyd is there. But to me, he profiled as like. Like this is another throwback wave throwback comparison, but like as a Moose and Muhammad type of guy, you know, outside the numbers, perimeter possession receiver. But I've been impressed with how much he's won, like in the vertical game. He's sort of like I said, a throwback type of guy, old school, like number two possession receiver. There, I don't know that he's ever going to be a true like alpha receiver in that offense or whatever, but. He's also been great because, like, Joe Burrow leads the NFL in yards per game throwing into tight windows so far this year per next-gen stats. Like, this is a guy that, that, that fits in that sort, with, that sort of, um, with that sort of player. Let's move to something we all definitely hate to see, uh, which is over the last four weeks, Russell Wilson has thrown nine touchdowns to seven interceptions and uh, 90.6 passer rating. He's got an adjusted yards per attempt figure of 6.98. That's not what you want to see. Let me tell you, I don't love that. <laughs> so what are you doing about this Seattle passing attack? Tyler Lockett has been you know, sort of disappearing of late. He had 66 yards last week. That was like a, a, a high watermark since his 200-yard explosion. Now he's on the injury report going into Thursday night. What the hell are we doing with uh, this Seattle offense? Is this ship ever going to get righted? I think so, but like not to the degree that we saw earlier in the season. I mean, those rates that they were completing passes, touchdowns, deep targets, all those things were really unsustainable. Even for somebody as talented as DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Russell Wilson, that combination. I mean, nobody has a 15% touchdown rate, and that's what Russell Wilson was cooking with earlier in the year. So I don't think you're going to reach those numbers again. Are you going to reach these uh, really low marks? I don't think so either. They're probably going to uh, finish out somewhere in between. For Tyler Lockett in particular, I looked at, um, you take the standard deviation of, the, of his usage over the year, um, week to week, he, he's the most volatile wide receiver in fantasy, not only his usage, but also his production. So you're going to take the spiked weeks, you're going to take some of these kind of uh, low floor weeks as well. But I think at the end of the season, we're going to look back and Tyler Lockett's probably going to finish as a top 12 fantasy receiver. So I wouldn't yeah. panic with him. Uh, I think that there's, you just have to take, he's going to have a couple 30 point weeks. He's going to have a couple eight point weeks. And I think at the end of the day, you're going to be willing to take that just because he's going to be a top 12 fantasy receiver. Yeah, exactly. I like people that cry about Tyler Lockett being volatile. It's like, give me a freaking break, man. If you're losing your fantasy matchup because Tyler Lockett, you know, caught six for 66 or uh, four for 39, then your team probably sucks anyways. You know, you weren't good. If you lost because of one player, your team wasn't very good. So give me a break with the people that are like, you're going to, you're going to sacrifice the, the big weeks uh, just you know, because you might occasionally get a dud here. Shut up. Give me a break. M- moving along. I, I, I was, I was, I was laughing earlier in the year. You had a video about uh, Derek Henry owners complaining uh, because he wasn't oh getting God. touchdowns and stuff. And then, like the next week or the two weeks later, he explodes. So, like, I mean, some of these guys it's just the way they're used uh, downfield. Um, sometimes if the ball goes to DK Metcalf, it happens. But I mean, you want players in the Seahawks offense. You want talented players. You want super efficient players. They check all those boxes. Yeah, I realize that we can't say this because it's just, you know, it's not a good enough excuse and this isn't our job. Well, it is. I mean, it's not an excuse. It's just the reality. Like, we also have a job to talk about the week-to-week happenings of fantasy football. But the reality is, Hayden, you know, we can sit here and talk about all of these trends everything. But the reality is, like, sometimes it just happens, you know? Like, sometimes that's the answer uh, for in fantasy football. And it's like, why hasn't Derrick Henry scored a touchdown for the first few weeks? Or why is Tyler Lockett produced a... Like, sometimes that's just the way it is. And then things normalize. We just... We put so... this. I mean, this is the way it is, and this is why, uh, you know, we get paychecks, bro. So, I mean, I'm not, like, complaining about it, but <laughs> the reality is, like, we put too much emphasis on, like, what just happened last week. And that's why I like your column, because it, it, it sort of does a little bit more uh, work than just like, hey, what happened last week? And let's talk about that. So, but let's talk about what happened last week uh, in the Washington offense. (laughs) We get Alex Smith's first start in 100 uh, million years. Actually, I think it was mostly just like 700 plus days. So let me be realistic about that. J.D. McKissick pops off uh, for 11 targets in the first half, 15 targets on the day against Detroit. Woof. Um, Luckily, in the second half, things opened up. You know, Alex Smith posts a career high, 390 passing yards, leads a couple drives at Antonio Gibson, who has been really good. 
um, this this year, like in, in, in on the whole, like there's been some tough times, but he's been great on the goal line. Uh, he pops in a couple touchdowns. Terry McLaurin has a big day of over 100 total yards. How do we feel about this uh, offense going forward with Alex Smith in it? Um, and do we hate to see like do we hate to see this if we are a Gibson backer or a McLaurin backer, JD McKissick, with all of this volume? I'm expecting Alex Smith to have one of the lowest A dots in the league. I think that he, like rightfully so, is kind of playing a little timid, which is totally fine. He's dumping the ball off to JD McKissick. In the three games that Alex Smith's kind of been been uh, the quarterback for most of the game, JD McKissick has target shares of at least 28% in all three of those games. So that kind of hurts if you're if you're looking as an Antonio Gibson owner or uh, you, you're rostering Terry McLaurin. But I still think there's enough to go around because there's not a second receiver. Uh, Logan Thomas is still like kind of just floating around in between like tight end one, tight end two usage. But I think I think the story here is it's very game script dependent for McKissick versus Antonio Gibson. Uh, in one of my columns, I have game script touch shares. So in leads, JD McKissick is only getting 11% of Washington's touches while they're trailing. That goes up from 11 to 35%. And then it's kind of flip-flopped for Antonio Gibson. When the Washington is leading, uh, Antonio Gibson has a 36% touch share while trailing that drops down to 19%. So it depends. If Washington's playing the Cowboys, that's an Antonio Gibson week. If Washington's playing the Seahawks or whoever's uh, uh, upcoming, that's going to be your J.D. McKissick t- uh, teller. Yeah, and I think that's a great way of of looking at it. Uh, the upcoming matchups, uh, Cincinnati, that seems like it could potentially be a, a, a Gibson game. Then we get Dallas in week 12. Like you said, Pittsburgh week 13. Yikes, I'm thinking that's a 20 target for McKissick type of day. <laughs> We've got San Francisco at 14. San Francisco is weird because I feel like they could go either way. Like those two teams, Washington and then the 49ers as they're currently constructed feel rather even to me. That's going to be a tough one. We might know more by week uh, 14. Week 15 is Seattle. 16 is Carolina. So there's sort of a mixed bag in there. Uh, Some teams that are around the same level of quality as Washington. Obviously, Pittsburgh, Seattle, you'd probably expect them to be able to put it on. Although Seattle, who who knows? Like, you know, you'd expect them to be able to put it on uh, Washington and those probably turn into... Uh, McKissick games but at least Alex Smith has been competent right like this is the team's third quarterback by the time most teams get to their third quarterback like we're you know washing our hands completely of the skill position players at least with Alex Smith he's kept the offense moving kept it alive and I feel like in these soft spots these soft matchups they're gonna it's gonna be enough to get McLaurin and Gibson enough fantasy juice which is literally all we're asking for like we don't care really about anything else yeah, my big thing is please just don't tank Terry McLaurin. I mean, Terry um, McLaurin's still balling out, and he's just so good. And he, over the last month, he's has wide receiver wide receiver eleven fantasy usage per game. So I mean, he's kind of flirting with these like wide receiver one, wide receiver two totals, despite all of the chaos around him. That just shows you how good Terry McLaurin is. I, I think just real quick with Terry McLaurin, just talking about prospects because I know that you and I kind of dig deep into these. Ohio State production, you cannot compare that to the other yes. things. There are going to be some outliers. When you're talking about the elite uh, universities, sometimes the ball just gets distributed differently. I think that's why Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs' production was down compared mm-hmm. to other uh, prospects. I think that's why Terry McLaurin, Michael Thomas, their guys' production were not as big as some of the other guys. I think that's why you really need to factor in how good the university is that they're playing at. Because at the very, very top of the uh, tier of teams, they're not even playing fourth quarters. And the other guys they're competing against are also five-star talent. So um, I think just uh, Terry McLaurin was a very good uh, learning experience just because you can't just only look at how much yards they're getting in college. You have to kind of contextualize that with how good the university they're playing at is still. Yeah, absolutely. Like he is definitely... um... He's definitely an all-time outlier. Uh, Terry McLaurin, he's been, like, he has seven-plus targets in every single game. He has been, like, as much of a real-life like life, real life alpha as I thought he was going to be. A lot of people thought he was going to be. He has been that. All right, let's move into our last segment of the show. It's Who Got Shelled, presented by our friends at Planters. Every Wednesday, usually Dalton. Today it's going to be Hayden and I. We're going to look at a defense or defensive player who got absolutely shelled last week. Then we're going to dive into the data and point out the defensive matchups that you might want to take advantage of this Sunday. 
Hayden, my nomination for who got shelled last week is the Carolina Panthers. Um, by the way, I feel like if Tom Brady wasn't off on a few deep throws, like they could have legit put up 70 on the Panthers defense, which feels funny because we're talking about like, oh no, the 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 the, the Bucks are stuck on the tarmac in Tampa. Like, what are we doing? By the time kickoff came, no one cared about that because they were absolutely well. Really, by the time the second quarter came around, because they were a little off in the first quarter. Maybe that was the tarmac uh, situation. But Panthers got shelled, um, and the Bucks sort of showed us like in their best. Like, this is the highest of their range of outcomes. Where like everybody is pretty productive. Gronk, Michael, Tom, uh, Mike, Mike Evans, um, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, and then in the backfield, Ronald Jones doing his thing. That was sort of the best version of the uh, the Bucks offense, and for the Panthers defense, pretty disappointing. Considering I was hoping that they would start to kind of turn things around from like on paper, they're a pretty tough matchup in a, as a as a passing defense. Not so much against uh, Tampa. Yeah, I also had the Panthers written down. They can't rush the passer; they're too young. And I think what's good for fantasy, maybe we'll we'll, we'll have to. Um, come back if, depending on Teddy Bridgewater's uh, knee injury. But the Panthers are well-coached enough where you can kind of project the Panthers to at least stay in games somewhat yes. or at least hold up their end of the bargain on offense. And that really uh, feeds into the fantasy frenzy that we saw. Uh, since, you, since you took the Panthers, and rightfully so, I'm going to kind of flip this. I'm going to say who got shelled was the Chargers coaching staff. No. And I know this was not <laughs> defense, but their just usage with Kalen Balaj in the first half, I think they finished with more oh carries God. than passes. What the heck is going on here? You have one of the most impressive rookies in like the last 10 years. Keenan Allen's dominating. Mike Williams is popping. You have Hunter Henry. You also got two offensive linemen back. Why aren't we passing the ball here? I could not believe. And and then in, in the in the presser, Anthony Lynn was talking about how like they came into the week like ready to run the ball. I don't know why. They don't have the running back talent to do that with Austin Eckler out. So I think that uh, the Chargers coaching staff uh, deserves to get shelled on. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what to say. Like, did you? Did we really need – were they that thirsty for the Kalen Balaj revenge game? Because I think they might have been the only one other than maybe Kalen Balaj. Like, no, literally no one needed that. I agree with you. That's a, that's a coaching staff that gets shelled in late games pretty much every week. All right, who do you expect to get shelled this week, Hayden, as we sit here on Tuesday uh, early morning? Well, this one's obvious – but you're getting Patrick Mahomes getting revenge on the Raiders, who are the only team to beat the Chiefs. Vegas has them as a 31 and uh, three-quarter point total, obviously the highest of the week. Give me the over on that. I think that with Sammy Watkins likely returning, you're going to get the best of the Chiefs' offense. I think that you can start Sammy Watkins as like a wide receiver three or flex coming off the injury as long as he's practicing in full. Tyreek Hills should pop. We've already talked about Travis Kelsey like an all-time season. And I even think that Clyde Ed- Edwards-Hilaire can get involved. He's still playing well well ahead, ahead of Le'Veon Bell. Um, I think that he can even be a bounce-back candidate. I just, I'm just i expecting the, the Chiefs to hang like 35, 40 points, especially because, and we talked about this with the Panthers, the Raiders' offense is more than functional enough to kind of keep the, the game at least close enough where you're not worried about uh, the Chiefs going up by like 15, 20 points in the first quarter. The Raiders' offense is at least functional enough, running the ball and passing the ball. So I think that you should see a huge fancy day from basically anybody on the Chiefs roster. I love it. I think that's a great call. My pick for who's going to get shelled this week is the Falcons uh, because, look, I, I don't really particularly like Jameis Winston as the quarterback. Like, I don't – when people talk about, like, well, I can't wait to see Jameis Winston, I don't know if they're talking about from a fantasy perspective or, like, a real-life perspective because if it's a real-life perspective, you can miss me with that. I don't really think – I'm not – I don't enjoy watching Jameis Winston, but definitely enjoy him from a fantasy angle. I enjoy the way uh, he operated with the Bucks last year. I think we could see – like, he didn't look good last week, so there is that. Um, but I think this game environment with the Falcons, with the Saints, could turn into a fun game for fantasy. And I mostly wanted to use this as my pick for who got shelled because I wanted to ask you about Michael Thomas as our last point on the show here. 50% of the air yards last week, um, but no great results. What's the deal with Michael Thomas? And what are I'm thinking like last week I was saying he can just get out there. This is going to be his big week. Is it this week, though? Is this when it's going to come through with Michael Thomas? Yeah, so in my column, I write top five rebound candidates, and that's from my model, who's kind of spitting out as like a buy-low opportunity. Michael Thomas was one of my top five, just like you said. The air yards were there. The air yard share was there. We see Jameis Winston uh, being more willing to go downfield. So maybe you see Michael Thomas uh, get a couple deep balls 
as well. I, I think Michael Thomas is somebody that I was kind of hesitant to be uh, returning back to like wide receiver one usage just because they brought in Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook's healthy, Alvin Kamara is also healthy and dominating. Those things weren't happening last year in the previous year when Michael Thomas was balling out. There's more tar- target competition, so I would kind of lower expectations overall for like the rest of the fantasy year. But I mean, production's coming. Like you can only yeah. stop Michael Thomas for so long. So I think that uh, please don't sit Michael Thomas with Jameis Winston. I think it's going to be really interesting too to see him with a guy who's not Drew Brees and or Teddy Bridgewater uh, under center because you know he's the guy that gets a lot of heat for just running slants, getting the short targets, whatever. So that should be interesting. I think he's going to be a good play against the Falcons. So that was who got shelled. I hope we don't get shelled by making those picks. And once again, we want to give a shout out to Planters for that segment. Stay satisfied with Planters. All right, Hayden man, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Before we get out of here, plug your stuff. Let the people know where they can find you uh, and consume your content. Yeah, everything I do is over at Roto World. I have the fantasy usage models of kind of the stats we're talking about today. I do those recaps after the slate. And then uh, my second piece is the fantasy blueprint, which is kind of a forward-looking kind of matchups, going through like my thoughts about the next slate of games. But at the end of the day, you can just find all my stuff on Twitter at Hayden Winks. While you're eagerly awaiting Hayden's latest tweet over there, you can check out some podcasts from Yahoo Sports. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. One more time, that's at Hayden Winks on Twitter. Tomorrow, uh, we'll have the betting preview show out, so make sure you're tuned into there. But until then, we're out of here. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.